You're listening to I'm Not Steve Kerr on the Believe Podcast Network. Now here are your hosts, the Resh Brothers, Colin and Scott. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. Welcome, everyone. The first live program, I'm Not Steve Kerr, episode 14. Those of you joining us, uh, see, there's a few of you. This is going to be a fun show. Uh, hopefully, you're finishing up dinner and uh, can join us, chat with us, because we've got a fun one. Uh, an old friend of mine joining the program. You can grab a beer like we're going to be doing. It is dinner time here on the West Coast, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock Mountain Time, where Scott's going to be coming to us from. And, and speaking of, let's bring these guys in right now. Scott on the right. My Yo. man, Corky Gainsford in the middle. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Hey, <laughs> the first live program for I'm Not uh, yes. Steve Kirk, giving this thing a shot. Um, don't know how that opening intro went. We'll, we'll check it <laughs> on the replay. <laughs> we'll know later. We'll know this later. Is nice, this is a nice Resh Brothers sandwich we got going on. You, yeah, you know you go. <laughs> the, the cool thing about doing this on StreamYard, which obviously this is live on YouTube, Facebook Live, uh, and Periscope, which Periscope, by the way, goes away in two weeks. I just learned that today. Twitter's doing away with Periscope on March 31st. I had no idea. Um, here's another angle, so we can do that. Um, that looks kind of cool. Now, now you're up with me, Cork. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Scott is uh, in Park City. Corky coming to us from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and everyone that's joining us, please bear with us. Uh, I think this is going to freeze from time to time, but those who are going to be listening on the podcast, we've got the audio taken care of. So if you're driving in your car listening to this uh, in the coming days, it'll be clean. But for those watching live, like I said, it's not going to be the best, but we're going to have fun with this. Uh, Corky's in Las Vegas where he just told me. Yeah, what Wait, are you, so what on. are you cracking right now? So don't I've don't hurt a, yourself there. This is a Corona. Uh, I don't get hangovers from Coronas. Hey, you know what works. Okay. <laughs> go go exactly. with what works. So you've got a beach beer, and I don't know why, but I went with a beach beer today, too. I'm at, I'm at this local store, and I'm like, oh, Fire Rock. Uh, Kona sounds good. Maybe we just wish we were in on a beach somewhere. I don't know. Always. That's like the best part on tour is when, when you have tour days on the beach. That, that makes everything better for like the next several days. Right, so be- best stop you ever had, Blue Man Group. Um, uh, Virginia, Be- Virginia Beach and uh, Tampa, they were both beach days. We had days off at the beach, and those were always the best. Okay. Yeah. Scott, what, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm trying to one-up you guys with a little uh, Old Elk Man- Manhattan right oh, here. Oh. Um, actually, the truth is I ran out of beer, but okay, okay. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, a little Manhattan, so... Absolutely. Be just fine. I'm going to be just fine. Can appreciate that. So um, Corky and I go way back, uh, as does Scott and Corky, actually. Same amount of time, right? We, we all went to high school together. Corky was in my grade. Um, Scott was a year older than us. And, man, uh, we've got some stories that are, that are going to be fun to tell tonight. And uh, yes. may, maybe some more fun than others. <laughs> Well, what what I remember is uh, I I played soccer and ran track and played basketball and, and we had a decent basketball team uh, in Old Monroe, Washington. And in eighth grade, uh, there was a solid like eight or nine of us that had played together for for a few years. And um, and uh, somehow in eighth grade, I ended up being a starter on our junior varsity team, which was which was. Interesting, but I, w- I was never the greatest basketball player, but I hustled a lot, and I think I earned the starting position that way. 
And then in ninth grade, this guy named Colin shows up that uh, never seen before, never met before, plays basketball, and obviously plays way better than me at the same position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so instantly I was like, well, I'm not going to be a starter this year. And then what made matters even worse was we had a teacher who was our coach named Dave Brecky, who Breck. didn't believe he did not believe in basketball players having long hair. Yeah. And I had hair that went right kind of past my shoulders. And uh, Dave pulled me aside and said if I, if I wanted to play basketball for his team, I'd have to cut my hair. And uh, in Did a really? very rock and roll moment that uh, has continued in many aspects of my life to this day, I said, I don't feel like cutting my hair. <laughs> so <laughs> not only did I move out of the starting lineup, I moved down to third string and didn't play any time that entire year. <laughs> Because <laughs> I refuse to cut now, my hair. Now the question is, would you position. know that? Are you now the question, the question is, would you have cut your hair had you been a starter? Uh, I, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> I just, I just remember, I, mean, I'd been, I'd been focusing more and more on music, and I'd been taking lesson, drum lessons uh, at that point for a few years, and I, I remember going to my drum lesson, and asking my drum teacher what he thought, and he, uh, he had like super long hair, and he was like. What were they gonna make Jesus cut his hair because it wasn't long, or you know, because it was too long? I gotta think he was—he thought it was the most funny thing ever. So, um, I decided uh, after sitting on the bench for a full season that the uh, the band was having a lot more fun playing songs, and there were a lot more girls over there. So uh, I figured that that might be a better spot for me in the upcoming years. So Colin took over uh, all the guard stuff on our basketball team, and I went and played drums instead. <laughs> It worked out all and, right. And, and I, it's, it was always like, it was funny because I've told that story and people thought that I was pissed at Colin. I was like, dude, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, I had no business being on the basketball team. Soccer. Gave, yeah. Soccer. You I was gave okay. me direction. Yeah. But like, Colin was like, dude, seriously, like, you belong over here. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is funny, right? Because I, I remember, here's what I remember. I don't remember your hair and, and all that. I remember... Yeah. That the very first game when our freshman year, I didn't start. Preston Sprinkle started in front of me. And I remember coming home thinking, oh, my God, I'm like 100 times better than Preston. Uh I'm like, I'm going to crush this dude in practice every day until Brecky (laughs) figures it out. And he, like, the next day figured it out. I was like, Colin, you're starting. Um, (laughs) And so I guess I didn't know I did this to you, too. But you went on to do what you've done in life, which is amazing. And and Preston is like, as we know, one of the smartest people ever. Yeah, um, yeah. Is what a doctor in New York these days. I'm sure you've you've stayed in touch with Preston. But I think things have worked out at least the way they were supposed to for all of us. To- totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> we all found the spot. It's it, that's where like like as I have a kid, uh, my oldest is in eighth grade going into uh, ninth grade next year, and I keep telling her that like when the things that she's not sure about in life, she'll start figuring out very quickly. Cause a lot of us had some transitional moments when high school came around. Right. So right. <laughs> that was definitely, that was definitely a year for me where that happened for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I still remember, uh, I think this was, would have been our senior year. So Scott was probably gone, but when you really started to get into the music scene, 
you had a band called Pandora's Dream. Remember oh, yes. that? Oh, and, yes. And I remember you played, it was either uh, once or twice at this, uh, it was the, what would the you call fitness it? club. It was yeah, the Valley yeah. Rally Fitness Club. Valley Rally Fitness Club. Yeah, and, and you got, got it for the night, and you guys played, and I, we had a good turn. It must have been like 100 people there. At least it, it felt like it. You know? It was some real DIY stuff, like very punk rock, where there were no venues, obviously, in Monroe, Washington, and someone along the way had discovered that, you know, there's a there's a open space and a stage at this local fitness club, and they would, you know, do their aerobics or whatever in this room but there was a stage and a and a space where people could gather and uh so we fully like rented out the space whatever few hundred bucks they charge us to to rent the space for the evening we bought uh yellow shirts and printed like event staff on the back so like my parents were event staff and and will wakefield's parents and yeah. a few other friends will, uh, yeah. of our parents that kind of thing so we had the staff and uh, we we sold tickets out of our leather jackets while walking around school, and we would put posters around the school, and people would come up to us like, "Hey, you got some tickets?" Yeah, but they're like three bucks a piece or whatever. I still I have if if we would have thought about this, I have some of those tickets that I found no in a box way. in the garage. Um, but it was it was two or three hundred kids there, and okay. uh, we, we did it junior year and senior year at the very okay. end of the year. Uh, yeah. And uh, I. Dude, I have them on uh, video. They've been converted to, to digital tapes. I haven't posted Sweet. them online yet, but those concerts, I, I have them uh, digitized and saved, and I should put them up one of these days. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> well, yeah, man, and this is uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about is all the things you've been doing um, really since the pandemic began, right? Yep. Is uh, you've, you've started... Uh, you know, a, a site for your art. You've got uh, the BMX stuff going on. So that could be the next thing. You're taking all these old VHS tapes and like, hey, let's put them out to the masses. Like, yeah. why not? You, we finally had time in our lives. Here's we're in our 40s to do something like this. And you went and did it. Pretty much. Yeah. Like uh, I'd had some opportunity over the years, but really like it's funny. It's been like a three part process because my dad and another friend's dad were really the two people that videotaped all these races in the late 80s to like mid 90s and there's not hardly any of that from that bmx area era that's on youtube or online really yeah. and so that was part one part two is my parents own a vhs to dvd converter mm -hmm. and so it's been my mom who's taken up the the task of like of like we have all these boxes of VHS tapes and they no longer belong in this house. So she just like puts one in, hits record, leaves for a couple hours, comes back and hits stop. And then after a few weeks, just brings this box of DVDs <laughs> over to my house with the VHS tapes and says, says, make sure the DVDs are okay. Throw away the VHS tapes when you're done yep. <laughs> or let me know if I have to redo them. And then, you know, I'll digitize them and then uh, separate the races and put them all up. And it's been really cool. Cause like there's a bunch of, old BMX friends from over the years that we've kept in touch or got in touch online through whether it's, you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And, um, it's been a cool way to just kind of reconnect with, with some of those guys that, I mean, we were racing in that circuit 20 years ago and, uh, and all this footage has been sitting on my VHS tapes in a, in a box somewhere. So like, you know, no one's seen these, like, Oh, I don't even remember this race. You know, half the time. Um, here we go. Yeah, so <laughs> 
<laughs> so Collins <laughs> popping up a race from 1993, and uh, this is a good one that I just posted the other day where yeah. m- me and one of my uh, uh, rival competitors are racing, and uh, this is in a qualifier heat, and I- I'm not too happy about him trying to catch some style in front of me. So uh, I'm not really going to let him beat me in this race. You'll see in the last turn. Boom. Yeah, we made some. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not legal? It, that, that actually is legal. <laughs> okay. Because we were, we were even uh, and or I was ahead of him when the contact was made. Uh, and when you're ahead of the other person, you have right of way. So uh, it wasn't the softest hit by any means, but it bit it. It was, it was a solid hit, but... Uh, but, uh, you know, bumping elbows is always nice and clean. Uh, if you're going to get DQ'd, it's more about hitting someone from behind. If you hit them from behind and they go over a turn, you'll get DQ'd. Uh, if you crash them from behind. And I have, I, it's funny, I have footage of this same dude hitting me from behind and, and him getting DQ'd. But right here. Get off boom. me. <laughs> One of the old racers that saw, he goes, he goes, dude, it was like you were a buffalo and he was a feather. <laughs> Just gone. <laughs> Well, the other, th- what I noticed watching that video the other day is you've probably, if you've really watched it and listened, there's a guy in the crowd who's yelling at, what were they, umpires or reps, like, you better call that, man, you better yeah, call so, that. He's so like here's screaming, the, like, for you to get DQ'd. The, the <laughs> irony is that one weekend, my team, Powerlight, and his team, Haro, were literally sitting, our tents were next to each other in the stands, so the entire weekend... Team Powerlight and Team Haro are sitting next to each other, and then that move was made. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's crystal clear <laughs> that they uh, they were not happy about that. that That's move, funny. That hey, everybody side. tuning in, we want to hear from you. This is a live stream. You can chat. You can send comments to us. We'll even put them up on the screen. Uh, if you've got something for Corky as we go along here, let us know. And, uh, and if it's a good enough question or comment, we'll put it up. But I'm going to add another one to the stream here since we're talking BMX, Cork. So you were one of the always ranked like first or second through high school in the world. I remember this. And, and you did this all the way through your Stanford days. Is that correct? Uh, in, in Stanford, I slowed down a bunch. I, t- I turned pro, but only because I knew I could make a little bit of money in the pro class, um, in the rookie pro-, pro class in particular. The, the guys that did it as a career – that was on a different level. So okay. here we are, same year, 1993 World Championships. This is in Holland, and uh, the finals here. And you're in the yellow and orange right I, there. I was in the yellow Boom. winning going into the first turn, and we all crash. Um, and this and dude cruises home. <laughs> yeah, this dude, this dude right here in the red and white, I, he was actually in my qualifier motos. Uh, so I'd raced him in all three qualifier motos. I'd raced him in our eights, in our quarters, in our semi. He hadn't beaten me once all weekend. <laughs> but we both made it to the final. And then when it gets to the final, he has an outside lane, goes yeah. around the outside of the crash, and ends up winning the world championships. Right. It was it's literally like, it, yeah, the only like race. Oli- it's like those Olympic speed skating, uh, Olympic speed skating races. A lot of times, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look so at this guy. Dude, Look at his hair, man. He's like, dude, he was that's a, the length. Hey, that's the length. Musician. That's the length that mine was when Brecky told me to cut it. It was yeah, that okay, length. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here it is again. The replay in slow motion. But yeah, so there's a dude. The guy on the inside of me. That, oh, that's da- that's Daniel from Holland. I raced him in a bunch of the world championships over the years. Uh, there's another uh, Christophe from France is in there. There's, it's funny. Like there was a bunch of guys that that we would never race each other except for the World Championships. So I've known some of those racers over the decades. And and Daniel, the Australian guy that that ends up crashing with me in the front there, 
Like, he's another one that I've kept in touch with on Facebook over the years, so we'll, like, toss videos back and forth of, like, random stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever see him, and then you get to the World Championships, and the best part about the Worlds is, like, like you never knew how fast the other guys were going to be or, or how you're gonna, you were going to stack up. You would just yeah. go and hope for the best. And uh, I, I, I got um, fifth in the world when I was 13. I got fourth when I was nine. Um, I ended up getting, I ended up getting up and getting third that one where we all crashed. And then, uh, the following year I got second, uh, where I was in second, went into first, got passed back and, and, uh, ended up getting second in the end. But it was, it was a cool little, the worlds were always the best, you know, like just racing. You, you couldn't talk to No, there was no trash talking cause you didn't understand what half the people were saying backstage. You know what I mean? Like yeah, right. it was great. And, uh, and like I say, a, a bunch of those guys, like you would, you would catch them over the years and. And uh, by the time, like, the mid-'90s rolled around, a bunch of uh, foreigners were coming into the U.S. to race in the U.S. circuit, uh, France in particular, uh, England, Australia. And uh, a bunch of those guys stayed in the U.S. and, and made a full career going through, like, the, the mid-'late-'90s out of, out of uh, BMX and X Games and that kind of stuff. It was, it was super cool to be a part of. Hey, we got our old friend Tate Kyle chiming in um, on Facebook. Hey, Tate, what's up, man? Corky, those were cruisers versus smaller frames, right? Uh, let's see. On the two clips, Colin just showed those were 20-inch frames. But I, but it was typical for us to race cruiser and 20-inch. Uh, so um, there's footage of both those types of bikes. And it literally, it's a 24-inch wheel versus a 20-inch wheel. Um, but... You know, those allowed us to race twice as much. You know, there's twice as many world champions when you have a cruiser class and a 20-inch class and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, like like that year in Holland, I actually got third in cruiser and got third in 20-inch. Um, yeah, but it, it was that was a fun fun little time for sure. Um, and as you were alluding to, like when I hit when I when I left high school and went to college, part of what happened was. I was already kind of getting out of BMX and knowing that I wanted to focus on music, but um, I felt like I'd missed a lot of high school by racing, which I did. Like, yeah. I mean, because basically every Friday I was flying somewhere in the country to go race, and then I'd fly back either Sunday night or Monday morning. I'd miss uh, way more school than was supposedly allowed, but I'd get, you know, I was like, but I'm getting A's, so you're, you know it's okay to have 20 absences, right? Because I'm still getting A's in these classes. But, um, <laughs> but like by the time I hit college, like I just knew that I wanted to not miss college the same way that I missed high school. Um, and I knew going into Stanford that it was like going to be a completely different field of people that I was competing against just to get halfway decent grades and graduate. So, um, so it definitely became BMX became more of a hobby when I hit college and, uh, I turned pro on a whim so like I was saying, so I could make a little bit of money in the rookie pro class, which was basically like spending money, and uh, got picked up by Powerlight again and raced for Powerlight for another year while I was in college, which was a lot of fun too. It was it was a really really cool team, and and uh, some of the guys on Powerlight became uh, Olympic medalists and you know national pro champions and all that kind of stuff. It was it it was a cool cool team for sure. Now, were you so good because of your athletic ability or because you stripped the paint off those bikes and customized them? <laughs> to, 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 to get them more lightweight? Yeah, uh, yeah there must have been something going on there. It, I was, a little I was tampering? I was competitive because I didn't have a lot of fear. Uh, the worst yeah. thing in BMX is like, especially like in any sport, is like fearing of falling down or being afraid of, you know, 
being afraid of winning is a lot easier than being afraid of losing. You know what I mean? Like you, you, the hardest part is guys that were fast going out there and not believing that they could win. So, um, it was just, it was just a lot of that, like a lot of mental stuff. And, uh, and I just, I just like to jump and ride and go fast. Like I, the, my biggest downfall in BMX was that I hated lifting weights. So there were times hmm. where like my conditioning wasn't up to where it needed to be, or, you know, maybe my strength at, at certain times, but I just like to ride and, and I like to go fast, but man, I hated the weight room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes two of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you know, we're going to obviously get into a lot here. And, and again, for everyone that's joining us for this live broadcast, uh, send your comments our way on Facebook Live, on YouTube, on Periscope. We want to hear from you. Uh, we got our, our old friend Corky Gainsford, Corky G, with us for episode 14 of I'm Not Steve Kerr. And uh, Cork, you know, we talked last week for a good hour, and, and our stories are very similar to kind of what we've been experience, experiencing in, in the last year, right? Um, when it comes to the pandemic, we've both been, you know, unemployed. Uh, you were with the Blue Man Group, uh, obviously. You know, I, I'd like you to tell people what's gone on with the Blue Man Group, because you, you hear that name, you're like, oh, world powerhouse, but the pandemic has absolutely crushed the entertainment business, the media business. I have so many colleagues in TV uh, where I was for so long that have been laid off that you don't even hear about. The Golden State yep. Warriors laid off 10% of their staff in January. You don't even oh. hear about it, right? One of the richest wow, no. pro sports franchises in the world is laying people off I mean so it's it's a real thing we've kind of felt it uh, obviously firsthand and and we're weathering the storm because it's gonna come back at some point right but it's yeah. been a long time longer than we thought so tell people you've been with Blue Man Group for 20 plus years it's an amazing story one how you became a member of the Blue Man Group kind of <laughs> like whatever here we go um, to doing it basically making it um, the backbone of your career while you did all these other things but tell people how you started Blue Man Group and what has happened especially in the last year and especially the last show I've got video of that that I can pop up too. For sure. Um, well, I got involved with Blue Man as a result of the uh, dot-com bust, mm -hmm. which was, you know, the other boom and bust that we lived through. I was living in the San Francisco area, um, graduated college, and all of us were working in various dot-com companies, 98% of which probably don't even exist anymore. Um, so we'd ridden that wave, and uh, the dot-com bust had happened. Everybody got laid off, and nobody in the Bay Area in particular was hiring. So uh, one day after sending I – I think I was sending like 20-some-odd resumes a week trying to find any companies that were hiring, none of which were. Um, I saw an ad in the paper. It was like a little tiny quarter-page ad. Uh, in the weekly paper in San Francisco that just said Blue Man Group looking for drummers and guitar players. And uh, I knew of their Intel ads at the time, but I'd never seen any of the shows. And thankfully, I had a roommate whose girlfriend had seen the show in Boston. And she was like, she was like I really think you should go down and audition for this thing. And, and so I didn't know what I was auditioning for, but I knew I had no other job prospects. So there was literally nothing to lose by going and standing in line all morning. And... Um, there was several hundred of us in that line, and they'd auditioned in L.A., San Francisco, and Seattle. And when it came down to it after our first, second, third, fourth round auditions, uh, they ended up hiring two drummers, which was me 
and Tim Alexander, the drummer from Primus. So <laughs> I was laughing because I was like, I was like, you, you mean like the guy that I kind of like used to play along to his CDs? Like you're hiring me <laughs> and that guy? And they're like, yeah, that's that's who we're gonna hire. And then I show up and. Little did I know that only a few months prior they had auditioned in Las Vegas, and the one guy they they hired from Las Vegas was Blas Elias from Slaughter, who was another guy who I'd learned to play drums to playing to Slaughter Records. So, yeah. um, so ironically, the first time my parents ever saw the Blue Man show, uh, there was one side of the stage with three drummers all playing next to each other, and I was in the middle, and Bloss was on one side, and Tim was on the other <laughs> on the very first show that they saw. So that was like a, a little going full circle moment. Um, so that was back in 2001. Uh, I did a national tour with Blue Man in 2003 called the the Complex Rock Tour, which yep. if you if you look. In the very back corner of the screen here, let's see if my finger can go to the right spot. Right there, there's actually a, a, a platinum plaque for the DVD that we did that year. We had yeah. uh, it actually went four times platinum, which was super super awesome. And uh, and to this day, the the only platinum plaque that I've earned in the music business. So like like a little that's that's always on the wall somewhere where in my rooms. But um, I did that tour with them. Uh, I did a handful of appearances on like the Tonight Show and America's Got Talent, Last Call with Carson Daly, and um, and uh, I played the Latin Grammy Awards with Ricky Martin. That was good. That was, mm. that was a good time. <laughs> Ricky Martin is a, is a fine individual. That was fun. <laughs> and uh, and so it's just gone over the years. And like I had to leave my full time gig with Blue Man when I signed a record deal with with Otherwise because I was on the road with other like we were on the road nine or 10 months out of the year. Yeah. So right. I had to leave my full-time job with blue man. But what would happen is when I would come home from, from otherwise tours, blue man would throw me right back into the circuit and I'd go back into playing shows. So that was super, super cool of them. Something that they definitely didn't have to do. Um, and uh, the last thing I did is what Sean, uh, what, what Colin's showing a clip of was the, the national tour that started at the end of 2019 um, or the fall of 2019, I should say, and uh, went right up to when the pandemic started. Yep. Um, so this was a fully new show that Blue Man was doing. Um, lots of new pieces in the in the Blue Man scope of things. Lots of new music. Uh, me and the guys that were in the band on that tour, um, we had to learn a lot, but we also had to kind of create a lot and craft the music. And and uh, really, we were given a pretty soft template of how things were going and we were able to kind of structure and fine-tune what the template was going to be um as the tour went on so that was a lot of fun and uh and just just for clarification you've never been a blue man you're no you're in the suit just so people that don't know uh, you've never sorry, been a blue sorry yes man. you're <laughs> i mean you're the, on I'm the drums the, and that's you whatever yes, you're doing back for in, see, each particular you can see the show. blue man you can see the blue man tiny in the top of the screen yep. that's kind of where where it looks like uh from our point of view um, but I've always been one of the neon guys in the back. As, yeah. I, as I like to say, the, the Blue Men are primarily actors, and they can, you know, drum some, and there's a certain drumming ability that they need, but but their primary uh, thing that they look for in Blue Man is a lot of acting skills and really uh, close interactions and, and identifying uh, with the audience from night to night. So the Blue Men have to work very hand-in-hand -hand with people in the audience, every night read read the situation and make a connection closely with the audience and we're 
the as we like to say like the shaman in the background kind of setting the audio stage for what's happening for the blue man up front right right so it's a very it's a it's a different style of of music as a whole uh drumming it's very tribal lots of like like you know almost like jungle tribal beats in the background supporting what they're doing up front but we're we're supposed to be kind of like that voice in the back of their head as they're going through the show night to night so I saw you and you brought up, you know, you point, pointed there, 2003. I went to the show in Charlotte. I went to the show yep. in Atlanta. I was living in Charlotte at the time, so I met up, yep. with, met up with you for a couple shows back then. I mean, I've probably seen you live, uh, your Vegas show, um, probably four times. Right. old now, you know, and uh, so, you know, it, it's such a fun show. If, if you haven't seen the Blue Man Group live, uh, you're missing out, right? Uh, yeah. But, but what, what are the state of things now as as we sit here today on March, what, 15th of 2021? Yeah, it, and this is, like you're saying, it's it's almost exactly, it, we're a few days over one year since the last show that I played, um, which was funny because, like, I, I, we were in Syracuse, New York, which is, you know, upstate of where it was really starting to hit in the U.S., and literally... The show is loaded in for our Syracuse shows, and we're walking to soundcheck, and then we all get a text saying, eh, you should guys should head back to the hotel instead, and uh, had a meeting, and then a few hours later, we were having a different meeting, and then we were all getting handed plane tickets and flying home the next day, mm. and uh, the, crew, the crew stayed behind one extra day to tear down the set, and then they were gone too. Um, Vegas has been, as, as everyone knows, like it's been shut down largely, especially like the the shows the Cirque du Soleil shows all that kind of stuff where there's a large audience those have all been primarily shut down um due to capacity restrictions and everything uh the tour has been rescheduled several times but as with any you know rock tour live nation whatever everything's largely coming back uh as the latest schedule is in the fall I know the Vegas shows are loosely supposed to come back by like July 4th weekend but everything's still super tentative um the Blue Man Tour could come back in the fall. It could come back next spring. It could back, be back next summer. Um, it's just a matter of, like, when tours come back in particular, there's going to be all the tours that have been on hold for the last year are all going to be back trying to get back on the road again at the exact same time, <laughs> vying for the exact same rooms. Uh, Hadn't and even thought about that. Yeah. So, um so it's going to be tricky in, in how they figure out not only the the restrictions of what, what's happening within the audience, but literally just scheduling all the shows on top of each other is going mm-hmm. to be a, a tricky thing, um, which is why I say, like, maybe tours will be coming back in the fall, but Blue Man might not be one of those fall tours. Blue Man might be in a second wave or a third wave or that kind of thing, depending upon how the, the scheduling goes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and like I say, Vegas... The smaller shows have have started coming back within the last month or two. Um, the bigger shows, I know, are are hopefully fingers crossed coming back in the summer. Um, but you know, they're they're probably going to come back with smaller schedules. The staff will probably be smaller. You know, will I be involved in that first or second wave of Blue Man cast? Maybe, maybe not. You, you know, mm-hmm. it's like ev- everything's completely up in the air. Um, and it's and you know so. Like you were saying, like due to the pandemic and what's been going on, uh, there's no drumming gigs, right? So I've been starting an art company, starting a apparel company, 
Um, I've been trying to release more of my independent like rock music and getting that out there. Um, just any any project that I can do creatively, both because it's fun, but also because like we need to find income streams somehow. So yeah. um, it, it's funny. Like Colin's pulling up my website on the on the the stream here. My website gets more, Got rid of more Scott. and more perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you, my you website gets out. more and more confusing the more uh, tasks I take on. Yeah. But, uh, but I do my best to have it up there at CorkyG.com. Um, and there's links to like my discography, uh, videos of me playing drums, uh, videos of my band Code Red Riot where I'm the singer, um, and then like links links to the artwork, links to Delete Designs, which is the apparel company. I mean it's. I've been all over the place recently and and as a creative like my goal and, and I was talking with this about some other friends of mine in a, in a band called Devour the Day and, and they're like what drives us is being creative it isn't necessarily like one thing or being on stage or recording or what it's it's the fact that we get to wake up in the morning and be creative in some outlet or another yeah. and yeah um and it spreads you thin sometimes trying to get all those bases covered, but at the same point in time, it's it's super fulfilling trying to you know keep your hands in all these baskets and and you know like I've been focusing on my art the last few weeks, um, both with with that website for CorkyGArt.com, uh, also finishing canvases, selling and shipping canvases, and then uh, with the whole NFT craze that happened over the last little bit, uh, where people are selling their art digitally online, I'm scrambling and trying to be involved in that NFT space. And, and mm -hmm. that all occurred over the last week and a half where my old manager of, of otherwise called me up saying, dude, uh, I like your art. You really need to be selling NFTs. And I'm like, what are NFTs? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, like like you're saying, Colin, like it's it's a lot of scrambling and a lot of uh, eggs in a lot of baskets. But uh, you know, as a freelancer and and creative, it's it's been, uh, you know, monetarily it hasn't been the greatest year, but creatively and fulfillment wise, it's actually been quite a cool year to have that time available and uh, and mental space available to to be able to reach out into these areas that I've wanted to and never <laughs> felt like I had the time to do it. You know, that's, yeah, that's been a huge bonus. Yeah, it seems you you've probably found different realms in in your art that you probably didn't couldn't get to before because you were so um, you know busy with uh, music and everything that um, you couldn't explore. Yeah, I mean, because because you know just from regular gigs, like I would work thirty hours a week, let's say, doing gigs, whether it's cover bands on Fremont or Blue Man shows or. I was working in a in a show called Tenors of Rock on the Strip and a show called Rating the Rock Vault on the Strip. So, you're you're going to gigs and setting up drums at some of these places, and you know, thankfully, the, like, good God, drum techs are the best thing ever because you don't have to set up. <laughs> but um, but like, it's hours and hours and hours you spent doing this. Whereas like, during the pandemic, like, uh, I just tore apart our garage and set it up as an entire art studio and just could do whatever I wanted there and I had the hours available to do it and focus on it and try to perfect some of these techniques along the way where it 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 would have been much more difficult to do that while also working, you know, full time as a drummer. 
Well, some of your artwork is directly behind you. Um, yep. We can see it, you know, in your shot. And then your shirt, show your shirt. So your designs, these T-shirt designs, you've got some uh, some really cool stuff. And this is like, I, I know this is your big seller, right? I mean, it makes sense. This, this, this is the, our most popular design. And as with most things in art, what I thought was my stupidest idea is my biggest seller. <laughs> because I, I, I put this up as a joke. I thought it was funny because this is our entire lives as musicians is when we're learning songs, you know it's loosely going to go something like this. Yeah. And uh, for for musicians, especially like my friends in Las Vegas where we're, where we're playing in a million cover bands and, and every <laughs> week we're learning a handful of new songs, like that's the process. You know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, right? Um, so I thought that shirt was funny and I pulled up the idea and, and posted it. And next thing I know, like <laughs> it's been selling all over the place. Um, but, but yeah, like it, it, you just, I just stumbled on to various things and, and I was like, I've always wanted to work with, you know, Adobe Illustrator. And I was like, I have these ideas and I have these like half drawn concepts and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like, you know, if I have, I have time, I might as well put them into a legit idea and put them up online and, and be able for for people to buy them so mm -hmm. um it's also like frankly at a certain point in time you run out of shirts to wear on stage and like you got to find them and we were in the middle of a pandemic where we couldn't go shopping so what do you, what was my next best idea was basically create a bunch of shirts that i would want to wear on stage and then just just have my own line of clothing at the same point in time. Right, so, right. So it was like a, it, to me, when I started out, it was like a win-win thing. I was yeah. like, I need some more shirts. All these other ones are getting old and worn out, and, and uh, next thing you know, I have a, a clothing line. So it's not on the links here, but it's at uh, Delete Design. Oh, there it is. Yeah, going across yep. the bottom. DeleteDesigns.com um, takes you there, and, and uh, there's all sorts of fun stuff. And, and uh I was able. <laughs> I made like some Christmas presents. I did. I did a shirt that had our our ridiculously small dog on the shirt and gave the gave him his presents to the family. And you know, I've I've had some fun with it. My dad, my dad, who I don't know if you remember my dad from back oh, in the day, I, but like yeah, I remember your dad. He, yeah. he was the gorilla, right? In basketball yeah. in basketball practice, we'd go in there, and he was the gorilla. He'd always be like the guy, yeah. like Garden, the big center Garden, Craig Sasser, and. Uh, <laughs> So Squatch, he, Squatch made yes. an appearance in the podcast. <laughs> so he uh, run, runs a personal training, personal fitness company, and uh, so he wanted a logo done and, and some shirts done. So I, you know, created a logo for him and that kind of thing. That was a lot of fun. Um, and he, dude, he's in his like you know mid late sixties, and so he, it, it. How many personal trainers are of that age when you know? And so he has a very specific client list and it's a bunch of people of that age looking for personal training. And there's someone, you know, in, in that realm, you know, training them now. So it's, it's, it's been a really cool thing for him to do. Um, and he's been, he's been psyched. So, and I was like, I was like, dude, I'll, I'll do a logo for you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got nothing but time, man. I'll I got nothing but time. Let me, let me put a fitness logo together. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've always told people that that to me, you're you're one of the most talented people that I've ever met. Um, obviously, you had the BMX stuff going on. You become this uh, world-renowned musician. You've traveled the world. You've done. Uh, you've opened for. I remember you telling me years ago. You know, it, festivals. You opened for Corn. Um, you know that type of thing uh, in front of thousands of people. And then otherwise, uh, obviously, I saw you here in 2014. Um, I'm going to try to throw this video up too, because I took this video and tell me about <laughs> this song in particular. You told me when we were talking on the phone 
uh, last week, but it's called Soldiers, and it's it became an anthem. And, and I'm actually surprised it didn't get uh, uh, more traction, even though it's gotten worldwide traction. But here in the States, to me, it, it just seems like something that should have been in so many movies, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the <laughs> Therein lies the uh, the uh, positives and negatives of the music business, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. Like we we wrote that song and and recorded it in my garage, and we thought it would be an awesome uh, live song. We, it has like a long build to it and all this kind of stuff. It it felt like it would be a really cool live experience and. From the time that we first played it, people really latched onto that song. And um, when we handed a demo to this guy named Jose Mangan, who was the the program director at, at Sirius Octane uh, on satellite radio, um, it wasn't. It was like I can't remember if it's like the second or third song on the CD. But we literally hand him the CD with with Sharpie written on, you know, otherwise. And and uh, we never intended this that song to be a single. But uh, he really latched onto that song as well and started spinning it on Octane. And um, within a few months, we became the first band, uh, the first unsigned band to ever go to number one on satellite radio. And so obviously when that was happening, that all the record labels started calling up. We signed our deal and had to get a record out really quickly because we, we had barely an album's worth of material, but we had no album recorded and we had a song that was on the top of the charts uh, and so it was just like a real rush experience. And from the moment we were signing that deal, we were off and running. Um, and really, like, Soldiers is a song that never stops. Like, it, right. it, it's, I can't even remember what the number is, but, like, it, the, the, the streaming numbers are, it's like a million a month or some crazy number like that. Like, it, it just never stops. And for a band that had what we felt was, like, a pretty decent catalog, like, that song always stuck out. So, um so yeah, like so like I say Soldiers is is uh was always a cool song. I know I, I have footage of us playing it in front of like 20,000 people and footage of us playing in little clubs and all sorts of good stuff, but like yeah. uh I left that band after a couple album cycles, but it 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 you know, that song never stops. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, what did you tell me recently what what's what did it just eclipse a, a certain number? Uh, I we're we're waiting for the official certification, but there okay. should be there should be uh, an official announcement of uh, of a very uh, cool nature in in short amount of time. I just can't I can't announce it announce it until we get uh, said uh, certificate check mark in hand. Right, <laughs> but it's about to bypass a, a certain pinnacle that we've we will be very uh, psyched and surprised about. That's Ryan, the guitar player there. Yeah. Uh, this this footage is from the Rock on the Range Festival, which uh, is now called Sonic Temple, um, but it happens us usually every May in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, Ohio. And yeah. uh, and this is the second stage. It's not even the main stage. The the main stage is in the stadium. The second stage is right outside the stadium. And there's like uh, twenty thousand some odd people there. You know, it, it's. It's crazy, like, looking back at it, because when you're there, it just looks like this sea. And it still just looks like a sea of people. But uh, there we are. That's that's yours truly. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> <laughs> Try, trying to keep everybody on pace and in the right place, right? That's the job of the drummer. Yeah. But um, it's fun. It's fun, man. Those those festivals are the best because you go 
not only are you playing in front of a huge crowd, but like there's autograph lines and, and photo moments and all that kind of stuff where you really get to interact with a lot of people. And those are the same people that come to the club shows after the fact. And um, usually like the signings, ha uh, we've been in there doing signings and photos for like two, three, four hours at times, depending upon the festival. There was there was one in uh, Indiana where I remember specifically we, we spent six hours at the merch table signing signing autographs and taking photos but it was like if the people wanted to show up we we wouldn't leave until until the line was done or we were getting kicked out so that was that was a lot of fun man that that uh that's the best so otherwise you know is no more for you now um tell people what you get a code red riot you started when and and where where's code red riot now because you you're coming out with music new music uh, a lot in this last uh, year for sure so what what happened was I left uh, I left otherwise and started recording and finishing a bunch of new material uh, myself because I'd always been uh, a songwriter and you know multi-instrumentalist Mo most of my job in otherwise was as a drummer uh, and songwriter but but when you are the drummer uh, people assume you have no songwriting abilities and or songwriting contribution so but you but you sing as well not just the i mean you yeah. do you can play pretty much every instrument am i wrong at, at varying skill levels yes sure <laughs> sure so um but honestly like when it gets into like songwriting and 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 production and whatnot like everyone assumes the drummer doesn't do anything like if you look at songwriting credits uh 80% of the time it's the singer and the other 20% of the time it's the singer and guitar player and then that's usually it on who's ever credited as a songwriter but in that band uh the singer guitar player and I really were the primary writing forces so when I left that band my goal was to prove that I could write that I could produce that I could record all that kind of stuff so um so I started doing that and put together a batch of material and started sending it out to my old contacts, my old record label, my old lawyer, all that stuff. And uh, their response was, hey, man, this this music's pretty good. Who's singing? And I'm like, well, it's it's me that's singing. And they're like, well, you should start a band. And so what started as me wanting to have a calling card as a producer and a songwriter so I could start working with other bands turned into me starting a band and signing another record deal. So... It wasn't the intention, but next thing I knew, that's where I'm at. And uh, so I ended up recording a, a record and releasing it on Sony, which had bought out Century Media Records uh, by the time that record came out. Um, I did one record with them, and then it was released at a bit of an odd time and a bit of a transition for the record label as a whole, and it wasn't really the right spot for me. So thankfully, I was able to get out of that deal. And uh, everything I've been releasing through the pandemic I've been able to release independently so um, recording the songs on my own doing the videos on my own uh, sometimes hiring out some friends to do some video stuff this one I actually the the weapon video that you're showing yeah. uh, I'm in a hotel room so that the, the footage of me singing is uh, using the lamp in the hotel room as my light uh, mm. fixture and then I recorded it at like uh, half speed uh -huh. and, then and then sped myself up uh, back to normal speed so I'm so I'm singing real slowly and it's it's super absurd when you watch <laughs> back at it. like 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 the the legit 
real-time footage looks absolutely absurd. But I wanted it to be real scattered and weird and, and jittery when I played it back. And then, um, and then since I was on tour, all this other footage is like, there's a ton of video sites out there that have stock footage that you can use or footage that you can, um, you know, use for whatever purpose and pay them a small fee, that kind of thing. So I just started acquiring a bunch of stock footage and put together a video, which was finished by the time I was still on tour. And the next thing you know, the pandemic hit and I'm like, well, I can't release new music now. So, yeah. uh, this was supposed to get released early twenty nine, uh, early 2020 and didn't get released until fall of 2020 when it felt like there was some time and space to start releasing new music again. Do you edit um, this? Are yeah. you editing? So you yeah. do it, you do it all. Yeah. So it, it, it's fun. I mean, you know, I went to the school of YouTube and watched a bunch of YouTube videos on how to edit in Adobe Premiere and right. next thing you know, you know, nice. it, it ain't, it, it ain't easy and it takes a lot of time, but if you're patient with it, you can, you can yeah. put together some fun and cool stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, I've always told people because I've been, you know, nonlinear editing came in 20 years ago and I've done so many different systems. But once you get it down, they're all the same, but a little bit different, you know. Yep. Um, so if you get one down, you can transition into I think I've done six different nonlinear editing systems in my career. Right. You know, so you just move on to the one, uh, the next one. And it takes maybe a few weeks. And you're like, okay, now I'm in a rhythm and I got it. Um Totally. So that's cool. That I mean, you can teach yourself to do these things these days. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, with especially with YouTube, man. There's so many tutorials out there, and so many just places that you can find information. Like, like, I mean, both with like, like, I mean, even like with like the shirt design stuff. I'm like, I don't quite know how to do this, and you look up, you know, how to, you know, whatever, whatever on in Adobe Illustrator or in in Premiere Pro. Yeah. And then you come up with a whole list of videos and you start watching them and, and trying to do it. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, yeah, this is easy. Yeah. Like it's I mean, it's, you know, the same thing that we did in school. Only school was official and YouTube is YouTube. Right. But it's a, it's right. a school of YouTube. Right. Yeah. <laughs> who, who needs Stanford when you got school of YouTube? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. What but, a waste. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it's funny. Like the last couple of videos I've done, I uh, I worked with a guy that I found on Fiverr, and yeah. just you know I did did a bunch of research, looked through a bunch of dudes, and found a guy that was some dude in Mexico that was like, I like to create lyric videos for metal music. And oh, I was whoa. like, I was like, great, you're my dude, and and <laughs> and uh, you know, and and mostly it's not like because I can't do it, but it's mostly because I I've I started really wanting to focus on the artwork or, or focus on the apparel and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, the videos take time. And, yeah. and if I'm yeah. taking time doing the videos, then I'm not doing this other stuff. So right. that, that relationship just kind of worked out. He's working on a third video for me right now. Um, and it's been super cool, but like, but it's like, I love making the videos, but as soon as I start focusing on the, on the next thing, like you just got to pick right. and, and what you can't do yourself uh, time-wise, you, you got to at a certain point, start hiring people out to do it. Yeah. So, well, we were talking uh, too uh, last week about kind of what we've been dealing with, right? You've been you've been telling me some stories about some of the guys, you know, Blue Man Group type talent um, in this pandemic and what they've been, you know, jobs they've been applying for, and and oh, I've yeah. applied for all these jobs and 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 you know can't get anything, and you've been applying for jobs and you don't even get a call, you know, and, and you look at like. <laughs> We've spent our whole career and built up to this, and you know what do you need? And but but my point is, when you talk about learning a new skill, 
um, you've always been able to do it quickly, yeah. right? Like, oh, I need to learn how to edit. Adobe Premiere is the best thing out there right now. I'm going to learn how to do it so I can make a cool video, right? Um, yeah. I've always been, you know, th the same way. And, and it's interesting that the two of us are trying to kind of figure this thing out in this last year and like, wait, but I, I can do it. I can do that. But tell me from your perspective what this has been like because it just has gone on and on and on. You've been applying for real jobs too, which oh, people yeah. would be like, wait, he's a drummer. This is Corky Gainsford, Blue Man Group. Code Red Riot. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't. He wouldn't need to do that. But that's what this has done to people. You know, we all got to try to figure it out. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, my background before even going into the music industry, my background was marketing and event planning. Right. And, right. and uh, like, my first real job out of college was creating a nationwide college band competition that I basically modeled after the NCAA, you know, tournament brackets mm -hmm. and found a way for there to be like local band competitions that went into an online band competition and and then the voting system happened and then we got to the final four and then the final four bands we flew out to San Francisco and they played the Fillmore op opening for ironically Primus <laughs> uh you know bringing the <laughs> um but like it was it was this whole thing so like I was like I have this whole background in it, you know, an event planning and marketing that led into like what I did with with otherwise and and you know in charge of both like not only just the budget and the financials of the band but like the you know the merchandising systems and dealing with the record label companies and dealing with the lawyers and all this kind of stuff and and just you have a lot of uh, hats in a lot of different areas that when you step out of the music business because it doesn't exist because of a pandemic and you go hey. Uh, I can uh, do marketing for your, you know, fill in the blank company yeah. know, here or, or, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You've been playing music for 20 years. And I'm yeah. like, well, playing music is part of it. But it, when you're in the business as a career musician, probably 15 to 20% of what I do is playing. And the other mm -hmm. 80% is like I say, D designing merch or yeah. you know reading through contracts or recording or you know writing or uh figuring out how to put on an event and dealing with the promoter and the other bands and the production you know i mean there's yeah. so many pieces that apply you can apply them in so many different areas but it, i even had the same problem when i left college i had uh majored in music and i had put on concerts um, I, the biggest shows that I did in, in college were, uh, with Beck and the Violent Femmes. Uh, I did a comedy show with David Spade in front of 5,000 people that was <laughs> killer because David was backstage nervous, uh, asking me to walk out cause I, I got to introduce David Spade and he was like, can you make sure like, can you make sure like you tell him to, you know, try to keep the heckling down because I'm not used to doing a comedy show in front of this many people. And, and I get it. I mean, you know, comedians are used to like, you know, small clubs and that kind of thing, like maybe theaters. And it was, we literally filled our amphitheater for a comedy show with Whoa. David Spade. And, uh, and it's one of my most vivid memories is him being nervous backstage before, <laughs> before coming no out there and, and killing it. It was awesome. Um, so, like I say, like the, these are skills that apply to running any type of, of thing. But yep. from the outside perspective, 
I left college and I'm high, I'm looking into consulting jobs and and uh, various marketing jobs and and I would walk into these people's offices and and sit down for the interview and they're like, why aren't you going into the music business? And I'm like, there's there's no jobs in the music business. If I go in the music business, they want me to sort mail in the mailroom and I'm yeah. graduating from Stanford, so I'd like a real job, please. And they're like, yeah. no, nah, go to the music business. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> So what ended up happening is I ended up getting hired by a uh, dot com company that was focused in music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. that was how that was how the the technology and the music thing finally intersected for me and things. But like, it's always been a tough thing to overcome for people to read through those lines and and yeah, you know. So it's funny like the employment that I have found that really has only started up this last week is like with another guy in Las Vegas that has run events and known me for 20 years. And I'm like putting together LCD walls and running audio cables and stuff like that. I'm like, I, yeah, I know how to do that. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, I would, I, if I applied to any other company, I wouldn't even get past the door, but like this guy's yeah. known me for 20 years and I'm like, I know how to do these things. Like hire me. <laughs> yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy crazy experience, and I know you've talked about like you know getting through the 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 interview process and then getting to the end and and them being like, yeah, you're overqualified. We're gonna hire the twenty right. year old. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Just, yeah, thanks. Waste, just wasted two months. Yeah, really? exactly. Thanks. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but yeah, the pandemic. Like I say, it's been uh, there's been a lot of positives and there's been a lot of negatives, and then. You know, the hardest part is just keeping keeping a positive attitude and finding ways to spend our time and and like they like say, like with you creating this podcast and and yeah. you know developing a a, a backlog of, of material and showing that we you know we know what we're doing. Like it's funny, like the more that I post a video that I directed or post some artwork, uh, then I get calls from people like, hey, can you do do this design for me? Can you design this? For, you know, like work ends up coming in after you do the stuff for free eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you gotta be willing to put in the time and put in the hard work. And, and like you say, you know, learn, learn the platform and, and put some, put some stuff out there and then, you know, people will take notice when you're doing good work and then, and then, uh, some more work comes, but, right. Right. But it ain't easy. It ain't easy, man. <laughs> hey, it is pro it's probably not easy for the people watching us right now. At least my end, my screen keeps freezing. I don't know about your guys's, but um, we got a lot going on because I'm adding these videos and everything. So everyone that's watching here on this live stream, we appreciate you. And if you want uh, to comment or ask a question, I'll be monitoring it. I'll throw it up uh, probably a few more minutes here with Cork. We've already gone over the time we were going to, but I knew this would happen, man. I knew this would happen um, <laughs> as we continue to talk. I know Scott's probably got a couple things he wants to throw at you. I'm going to throw up uh, just an ISO of you drumming here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the better days, but they're coming soon. Um, when you watch yourself in, in this type of thing, <laughs> does it just kind of get the, bud, the blood flowing? Yeah, I mean, you know, because, like, back when you're learning how to play drums in your, you know, parents' living room, which is where I learned, and basically my parents god bless their heart they just went to the other side of the house and just turned the tv up real loud and let me play as long as i wanted to i mean yeah. this is this is the goal so this gig you're showing here that is a new year's eve gig uh i believe it's 20 little billy uh, idol 20, little billy yes. idol here yeah. so we're, so the here so here's the, so the guy in the hat this is frankie perez mm -hmm. uh and frankie's a well-known singer from las vegas he uh 
sang for uh, Apocalyptica for a couple tours. Uh, he's been in a, a group called Kings of Chaos, which is like kind of an all-star group of guys from like Guns N' Roses and Stone Temple Pilots and Linkin Park and this kind of thing that they kind of get together and do cover tunes. Frankie's in with this group. So the guy who you see on guitar here is actually Steve Stevens, who is Billy Idol's guitar player since mm-hmm. the 80s and, and one of the most well-known guitar players over the decades. So Frankie's been in this circuit with all these like big name players in LA and whatnot. So what we, what we did was I came home from tour with the blue man group and then we did one rehearsal with Steve and then we flew to Oklahoma and played this new year's Eve gig with Frankie, Steve, and uh, a couple other friends of mine that, that we tend to play a ton of gigs together here in Las Vegas. Um, the other guitar player is a guy named Christian Brady. He plays in a band called hell. Yeah. Um, and then Doc Ellis is on bass, who's played in a number of things in, in Vegas, and he filled in with Rat for a while back in the day. So it's it's all these dudes in different projects that, you know, you end up finding a, a middle ground of what tunes everybody knows. Usually it'll, it'll revolve around what the singer knows, right? Like, whatever the singer knows, dude, we'll just learn the material, and then we go from there. Um, but obviously when you're playing with Steve Stevens from Billy Idol, you got to play some Billy Idol. So we, we did Rebel Yell that night, which is uh, – it's a lot of fun. That – the that intro riff that everybody knows, um, most people in Las Vegas play it with two different guitar players, or they play it over with tracks. But Steve does it, uh, does these two guitar parts at the same time, um, and it's like you sit in the room with that guy playing that riff, and you're like, "Yep, that's the <laughs> riff." <laughs> you know? yeah. It's uh, it's 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 like we can all play the same music, but there's a certain thing about you know the guy that did it first, and and uh, you know with a certain bit of, of his style and and. Uh, you know, just his approach to it. So these gigs are fun. And, and over the years, I've just started throwing up the GoPro more and more to get footage of the gig. And, you know, mm, it helps smart. me, you know, it, help, it helps me uh, learn and, and watch back what I did good and what I didn't do good. And then, you know, it, it's a way to get content out there, which at this point we all need content out there of us, you know, like we're saying, proving what we do and right. prove that we do it well. So it's fun. I, that, those gigs, those gigs with Frankie, are still some of my favorite gigs, and we've, I've been playing like some funk gigs with him. Uh, in the the only gigs I've had through the pandemic have been like small, uh, private parties in L.A. with Frankie, and we play like funk tunes and and uh, old school dance tunes, and then play a few rock tunes. It, but it's it's so awesome. Like he's he's been a really a great guy to play with. Well, Scott and I, you know, Cork. I mean, we're both huge kind of live music uh fans um and and just watching you you know kind of perform too it's i think everybody is obviously itching to get back to some normalcy and do the, do what we used to do uh obviously right. for you it's it's your profession um but for people like me and Scott that was a part of right like oh let's you know married with a couple kids or at least me was I'd go see a show every four or five months, but it was something, right, that you could look forward to. Yeah. Um, and Scott can speak to this as well, that uh, we're, we're all just looking forward to the day when we can come watch you, you know, with Blue Man Group or Code Red Riot or playing with Frankie, whatever it might be, because it's it, it makes us feel good, right? That's yeah. what music does. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the worst part of the pandemic is when you're, when you're working – there's there's calluses here and yeah. here. <laughs> Look and at those maybe beautiful hands. <laughs> and now my hands are they're, they're like artist hands, right? They're all nice and fine and clean. And they're, they're like you look like a hand model. 
Yeah, so so like, and and I literally have I've haven't not had calluses or blisters for twenty years on these hands, and now like they're all gone because we're not playing, you know, five days a week or six days a week or whatever. So like when I do go to a rehearsal or or, or whatever, like I I have like band aids all over my because I got to develop all those. Things. That's the worst part is like you know developing the calluses and getting the blisters is is the worst and we're gonna when this stuff finally starts back up again you're gonna see all these performers get <laughs> to get back in certain shape that way i mean the same with like you know like if you're you know not playing basketball or not playing yeah. any sport you know like like just <laughs> that like when it's that first week of practice again and you're just in pain the whole right. time <laughs> right <laughs> you gotta right. all go through that suicides <laughs> do it again so yeah. you're saying like on stage there's gonna be this blood everywhere and everyone's gonna be like what what's with the blood? What's going uh, on? Just, just my hands, man. Just, just my extra band aids, extra band aids. We're all good. <laughs> all right, I won't boo then. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a leeway there for the first couple months. Well, the, yeah. The other the other <laughs> thing too is like is like it'll be a bunch of people that that uh, you know after a certain amount of time like you got to pace yourself and this is what like I mean this is why I like watching college ball more than I like watching pro ball half the time because the college dudes are like they're just like ah, we gotta go we gotta move and the pro dudes are like man i got a lot of games to play yeah and i got a lot of years <laughs> in this career to cash these checks so you know it's cool man there's always next play and so like as a career musician you you at a certain point in time you're like you're like dude like these are a lot of shows like i gotta kind of pace myself like maybe i gotta you know, lean back a little bit, maybe hit a little bit less hard on the drums, like, you know, that kind of thing to be able to play the next night, the next night, the next night. That's like, that's how, you know, a band like, let's say, you know, like the uh, Bruce Springsteen can play three hours or whatever. They're not playing at a hundred percent, you know, you know, craziness for three hours. They're, they, they got to pace themselves. So as all these musicians finally get back to hitting the stage, none of us are going to be used to pacing ourselves or wanting to pace ourselves. Yeah. So, I would say see shows as soon as possible because it's going to be a bunch of dudes going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> right right. Love it. <laughs> that pent up aggression isn't just the fans, it's the performers too. Oh yeah. I mean cuz all of us have been just itching to go out there and do, you know, what we do. Like that you know, that this <laughs> this year is a, a, some footage of of me with a band called Todd Kearns and the Anti-Stars which uh Doc, who was playing bass in the Frankie band, he's playing guitar in this band over here. Uh, other friend Mike is on bass. And uh, Todd Kearns, who plays with uh, Slash and the Conspirators. This is the guy in the center here. So Todd, Todd's a well-known dude from Canada. There are a lot of Canada transplants that have found their way into Las Vegas over the years. And uh, so Todd plays bass with Slash uh, when he's doing his solo tours. And when he's not on the tours... Uh, he plays gigs around uh, Vegas as a guitar player, singer, that kind of stuff. So this band was killer because we would do one show every month or two and try to cater the show to that month. So this was October. Okay, makes sense. And all uh, right. hence, hence the spider webs all over my drum kit, uh, hence the face paint that's on me, and hence the fact that we're playing Thriller, yeah. which uh, the greatest part about like working with top-class musicians, of which there are a lot in Vegas but like I've, I've thankfully been able to play with a lot of top-notch musicians is the show would be coming up and with this group of people we'd be like okay it's October like you know are there any new covers we want to add into the set and someone would just go like I don't know, Thriller 
And it's just like, okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> you just, you know, figure out what parts you think they are, and then you go to the next rehearsal. And usually, like, in, you know, one or two rehearsals, we would put together whatever covers we were doing. So, yeah. like, I remember when November came up, they were like, okay, so it's November. What are we doing? And I was like, dude, November rain, duh. And yeah. <laughs> everyone's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, why not? And so next thing you know, like, we're learning, you know, November rain for, for the end of the November show. But, um. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. And ta- the, all those guys on stage from all these clips are like, you know, they're not only some of my favorite musicians to play in Las Vegas, but like they're some of my favorite musicians, period, in the industry. Like they're all fantastic. They all got a you know style of their own. And, and when we're able to put it all together on stage, it, it, those, are, those are nights I don't forget. So like this video that you're showing is f- from audience videos, but I actually brought my Pro Tools rig and recorded multi-track recordings of, of the shows that we did with the Anti-Stars. So, um, so we had, I had these like 16-track multi-track recordings and I'd mix them together. Started sending them around to us as, as uh, just a fun way, again, for us to review our shows. And, uh, and then during the pandemic, I was like, you know what would be cool is if I took these recordings and, and put them together with some fan videos and, and you know, posted, you know, high-quality audio along with it. So, uh, I did that uh, right when, when the pandemic started. I started posting some of those old Todd Kearns videos with that uh, multi-track audio, and it's it's been a lot of fun to have that up there. So many things that you've been doing, man. You know, you make you make me feel bad as usual. Like oh, I'm just gonna start a, a t-shirt company. I'm gonna do some artwork. Uh, got my own thing going on with Code Red Riot, and right, you know, right. I'm just do. I'll show you. I'll show you this. Here, this is this this is my uh, my second best seller, which was a very selfish, oh, yeah. very selfish design. But because <laughs> of, of all my black t- t-shirts, this is this one's my favorite, um, because literally all that's in my closet is black, is black t-shirts. But I did learn <laughs> over time that uh, I've really you know cut myself out of a lot of potential sales by not doing a uh, a blue version of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, a red version and, you know, green, so on and so forth. So so one of my next things on my schedule is I need to uh, diversify <laughs> and have have this for people who have a different favorite color of T-shirt. Um, right. Yeah. So so you know. easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this court. We believe in you, man. We believe in you. <laughs> yes. Up up soon at DeleteDesigns.com. You can buy your new favorite uh, green T-shirt. <laughs> your uh quickly your daughter though is an amazingly talented musician as well um that's got to be really cool for you it's been cool man she it, and like i say like she's i mean she's teenager she's 13 turning 14 so she's definitely like figuring out what she does and does not want to do um and and like we put together a, f- a few songs and released them uh she's released as the name izzy grace I-Z-Z-Y-G-R-A-C-E. And, um, and I mean, those are songs she just, like, came to me with her ukulele and was like, I got this song. And, and I was like, dude, let's record it now. Because um, we recorded the first couple right before I left for the Blue Man Tour. We recorded another when I was home on the holiday break. And then, like, it was funny. Like, once the pandemic started and I was back home, she kind of – started transitioning into more wanting to do dance and hip-hop stuff. She's been involved with a hip-hop dance group for a while. And I think that's kind of affecting what music she probably wants to do and what she's been doing. So she hasn't 
really shown me a ton of stuff since. She hasn't really wanted to record. She's been kind of like, it, it's tricky. Like as a, as a, any musician or artist, like you want to put out there what you truly feel is good for you. Like you you want to be uh, confident in what you're putting out there. And if other people like it, great. And if they don't, fine, whatever. Like there's yeah. an audience for it somewhere. Um, so she's trying to figure out what her voice is, and she's also a teenager, so she is more concerned about what people think. And I'm like, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you, if you do it and you like it, people yeah. are going. You, you know what I mean? People yeah. will gravitate towards that. So it's an interesting thing with her. Like, and like I say, she's been focusing more on dance. So then I'm like, well, dude, like, start writing some pop tunes and be like the next J Lo or something. That'd be cool too. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Support dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like whenever she wants to record, man, I'll, I'll record her. And, and uh, I have another friend in town, uh, Tony Carboni, who, who ironically, he was the, the bass player that I brought into otherwise uh, the last year I was in it before I left. But Tony's been producing some stuff and he's, he's helped uh, her on the last tune. And, you know, so there, there's definitely a support team for her. And so if there's more stuff, it might come out. And if not, you know. Maybe we'll hear from her another ten, five years or ten years. Yeah. Or, you know who knows yeah. what's next. Well, but who dude, kno- who like knows? she, yeah. she just writes stuff and and I think I've changed a couple words, maybe changed a chord, you know. But I mean, those are her tunes. Like it's mm. it's it's been super cool to watch. So um, so we'll see what happens next. Well, this has been fun, Cork man. It's been nice yeah. uh, trip down memory lane and uh, for sure, you know. I'm, I'm glad you didn't have to cut your hair all those years ago in high school. Um, I'm glad that I was so good at basketball that I forced <laughs> you to change <laughs> your career trajectory. Change, um, change you, to, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm really proud of that. Hey, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the other one, frankly, was uh, when I, I lettered in soccer on my freshman year. I got my letterman jacket yeah, from lettering yeah. in soccer. I, Played junior varsity half that year, and then I played uh, varsity the second half of that year. And then sophomore year, they moved me back down to JV. So by the time junior year rolled around and I was in varsity, I was like, I really don't care. So I played junior year. <laughs> Senior year, by, by this point in time, I was like, you know what? Uh, I am never going to play soccer again. I'm going to play drums. So I, same thing, I answered some ads in the Seattle paper and started drumming in a band in downtown Seattle. And then all of us, I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this. And then soccer tryouts came senior year, and I just didn't show up. And, then, <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I was like, I'm playing drums. I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm yeah. so done with high school sports. And I was like, I'm just going to play drums from here on out. And, um, and everyone thought all, I was crazy. Let them all think it's the hair thing again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it, that was the beginning of, of playing clubs and, and going down that path. I, I just think I, I knew at that point in time that's what I wanted to do. And then not there were years where I didn't believe it, but there were, you know, it's it's come around full circle in the end so that's yeah. Cool. yeah well best of luck awesome. to you here man in the, in the coming months uh obviously it's been uh it's been fun just being friends with you for she's going on on almost 30 years now long uh, time it's crazy uh but you know better times are coming for all of us and um you know looking forward to seeing you perform live again for sure it's always been a you know oh, yeah. thrill and and so, you know yeah, I, keep... I, I don't know if scott has had the opportunity yet but he knows that it's he's got to do it yeah yep. and De- denver's always a big market for both rock and for uh the theater stuff so 
Oh wait, you're Park City. I, I, yeah. Park so City. So yeah. Salt Lake. So Utah, the same same thing. That there's it's, there's always like these nice little pockets in in the country that that I like to hit. So, but yeah, I'll keep everyone updated. Um, with Code Red Riot, I've I've been aiming to have a new single out every six weeks. So my okay. next single with Code Red Riot's coming out uh, April second. Um, and that, like I say, it, it, with the way the music industry has been going, it'll just keep popping, popping, popping every every couple of months. Um, and then, like I say, there'll be more artwork coming at quirkygart.com, more clothing at, at uh, deletedesigns.com, and and uh, I'll just try to keep everyone updated as best I can online. Yeah, man. Hey, keep we'll up. We'll be the, following. Yeah, that's right. Keep up the good fight, brother. Uh, you as well, bro. It's good to see yeah, you guys man. again, for sure. Yeah, this is fun. Me too. Ep- episode 14, I'm not Steve Kirk, Corky Gainsford uh, joining us for this one. It's been fun, and uh, we'll see you guys for the next episode. We have no idea who that guest will be, so that's our tease. <laughs> and if we did, we're not going to tell you. That's right. That's right. Cork, <laughs> right it's on. been fun, Thanks, man. Guys. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Sorry, bud. All right, guys. Bye, guys.